Welcome to Rolling Rocks Radio, hosted by Jerry Armentrout and Scott Barker. Welcome to Rolling Rocks Radio, the podcast where we drink whiskey, we talk about mixed martial arts and jiu-jitsu and anything else that interests us. He is Jerry Armentrout, I am Scott Barker, and welcome to tonight's show. Hello. So the bottle for tonight, we're drinking Hellcat Maggie Irish Whiskey. Um, Hellcat Maggie is named after one of the most infamous members of the Dead Rabbit Gang in Five Points, New York. And if anybody's a fan of the movie Gangs of New York, you'll remember the Dead Rabbits Gang. This is, it's a traditional Irish whiskey. It's distilled by Cooley Distillery in Louth County, Ireland. And Cooley is the same distillery that does the Turconnell, Kilbagan, the Connemara. So it comes from a, you know, a well-established uh, copper pot distillery uh, in Ireland. And it, it's distilled and barreled there. And then it's bottled by Phillips uh, in um New York. So it's a traditional Irish whiskey that is uh, bottled here in America. There you go. So collaboration. Little collaboration, yep. So it's I've actually had it before. I quite like it. So we'll see what Brother Jerry thinks. Cheers, man. Cheers, brother. That's legit. Yeah, it's it's a good traditional. Irish whiskey, oh, yeah. it's a little, it's smooth, but it's got a little bit of a bite to yeah. it. It's got a little bit more bite to it than, say, Bushmills or even Proper 12, um, which kind of fits with the whole Hellcat Maggie um, theme. So the deal with Hellcat Maggie was she was, um, like I said, she was a member of the, of the Dead Rabbits, and she filed her teeth to points and wore brass-sharpened claws in the street fights that they would have with the Bowler Gang and some of the other hooligan gangs in in Five Points back uh, during uh, that time period. So, really good whiskey. I really like this. For the price point, this is a $23 bottle for a $7.50. That's not bad. Which is not bad at all. Uh, I would highly recommend this. It's I, I think I it's really that. good. That's, it's good stuff. Yeah, for, for for what you pay, it's definitely it's definitely well. You can take you can tell, you know that it's it's basically <coughs> the Irish style. It's got that taste and that flavor, but it's got that nice bite. Yeah, yeah. It's it's got that the roasted grain, um, the roasted grain character that is quintessential Irish. Mm-hmm. You know the the Scott it the, the Scots whiskey, the way they get that smoky flavor, right? And I know you know this, but they they roast the grains over uh, over peat fires. Yep. And that's how they get the the smoky flavor. Irish whiskey is different, where they actually roast the grains in clay ovens. So that's where the the more toasty notes uh, from Irish whiskey. Uh, but yeah, this is legit. This is really good stuff. Um, 80 proof, 40% uh, alcohol. Like I said, it's about a, a $23 to $25 bottle for $750, depending on where you get it and how bad the taxes are. Uh, but this is this is good stuff. We're going to keep drinking this. And they're not a sponsor. We just like their stuff. Yeah, we just like their stuff. 
Um, so, we had no fights really to talk about recently, but we had two this week, yep. and we've got two coming up Friday over the and weekend. Saturday. we got Friday and Saturday. So and boxing news we'll get to at, at the end. Yes, yeah. Actually, let's take care of the let's take care of the, the sundries before we jump into fights. So a couple of cool things came out this week. One is uh, Grace Gundrum, the silent assassin from Tenth Planet Bethlehem, sixteen year old girl, was awarded her black belt after a very convincing win over the weekend at a sub only grappling tournament. Against Danielle Kelly, who is phenomenal in her own right. She is legit as they come. And it was great, but it was good. I watched it. It was great. But Grace Gunnell, for being only 16, she she controlled. She just knew what she was had to do and she did it. And she had Danielle Kelly defending instead of attacking. And that was that was a big deal. The um, the last time that I saw, or not the last time, but uh, she took part. Grace Gundrum took part in the quintet all female uh, tournament a couple of years ago, and at that tournament she took four black belts to a tie. As a purple, she was a purple belt at that at that time. She was a member of uh, obviously <laughs> Team Tenth Planet, mm. uh, and she was. She was at a weight disadvantage and at a belt level disadvantage, and she fought like I said, four uh, high level black belts to a draw. She's a phenom. She is. She's that rare. You'll see them. I mean, jujitsu normally is about time and putting your time in and going through. But there, there are people that pop up like anything else that are just phenoms that are just freaks of nature that are just gonna. Well, well, for whatever reason, this is where they belong. And this is the sport, the spot that they're going to dominate. And they're going to just take to it. And I believe she started when she was like seven or eight. Yeah, she didn't so. start young. But she's just, I don't know if it's because she's, why becoming, she's, she's only 16. But she just seems, she knows her body. She knows what she needs to do. She knows where her everything is. And like I said, Daniel Kelly, she made her defend. And it, that's weird because you watch her other fights, she's the one attacking. She's always on the attack, yeah. And instead she had to defend, and she tied her up and went for those leg attacks and then uh, heel hooks, and Danielle Kelly just did not know what to do, and she got beat. And I mean, everybody loses. I mean, it's yeah. submission grappling. People going to lose. Mackenzie Dern loses. Everybody loses. It happens. But it's just... It's awesome to see someone her age this good at it. Yeah, and she is she is absolutely fabulous, and it was a well deserved promotion of the black belt. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been she's been competing well above her her belt level for the last several years. So, you know, congratulations to Grace yeah. Gundrum from the the Rolling Rocks Radio team. Um, you know, we're we're happy to see that happen, and we look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Um, so that's really cool. Now in boxing news. Boxing! Boxing. Yet another thing that Jerry and I don't talk about a lot, but we both love. So Mike Tyson has announced that he will be putting on an eight-round exhibition match September the 12th to fight Roy Jones Jr. 
And people, a lot of people were like, oh, Roy Jones Jr. and he's small. No, Roy Jones Jr. has fought at heavyweight before. He fought Tua back in the day at heavyweight. Roy Jones has fought at light heavyweight, heavyweight, welterweight, cruiserweight. Jones will use to fluctuate just so he can have a fight. Because, I mean, remember, he was pound for pound the best boxer. Yes. And he would fight anybody. He would go up in weight and fight a heavyweight. He'd fight cruiserweights, light heavyweights. But uh, Tyson's, what, 54? Looking extremely good for 54. Roy Jones isn't, I don't think he's quite 50 yet, but he's been training hard. He looks pretty good. This is an exhibition match. They haven't released all the details. They could be wearing headgear. I don't know. It is eight rounds, but they are having a fight card on the uh, underneath it. They're having a mixed martial arts match on the same card. They're going to have other boxing matches. So we're going to see probably a little bit of variety, which is awesome. And as of now, we're going to go ahead and call it. We are hoping to do that live. We'll do a live show with a few other people, hopefully. Drink some whiskey. Probably watch the fights. more whiskey than we typically drink. So. Have, our, have people come pick us up. And we're, we're going to figure out a way to do this. Whether we watch it here at the gym, get a TV, and go from there, or however we got to do it. We'll figure it out. We will figure it out. So, yeah, so we got some fun stuff coming up. So, two sets of fights um, this last week. We had UFC Fight Night, Cater versus e, uh, mm-hmm. Ige, mm-hmm. and then... Both up and comers. Which is the one I caught, and then Jerry caught the Fight Night 170, not 172, but... One seven. What was it? Let me look. Fourteen. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're since they switched over. It was Fig, it was Figueroa Benavidez, yeah, yeah. right? It's Figueroa for, for the vacant title. Yeah. Second time they fought. They fought in February, and then they fought again. This is they switched over numbers because this is ESPN Fight Night. I think eleven. That's right. Yeah, it was the ESPN Fight Night. Yeah, because it's ESPN. They they started over again because it used to be Fox. Yeah, fight, yeah, that's right. Fox Night now is ESPN Plus. So um, the the fight night uh, Cater versus Ige was on Wednesday. It was a uh, it was another interesting card. The undercard fights were good. Um, there were some that were more competitive than others. Um, we again had some weird refereeing. We had a couple of oddball fights. The, the one interesting thing about this particular card is there were four Cage Warrior fighters on this card. Um, cool. and, and several of them were champions. That is the UK um, yep. division, or the, the, the UK federation where Conor McGregor came yep. from. Conor McGregor came from there. Several, uh, I think Bisbing fought there. Quite a few of your European fighters, fighters yeah. came from Cage Warriors. So th- there was a there was a large amount of, of Cage Warrior fighters on this particular card. So the the first fight was uh, Jack Shore versus Aaron Phillips at bantamweight. Um, Jack Shore came in at a, at a twelve and zero record, which was uh, you know pretty impressive. Aaron Phillips came in. Um, he had lost three fights in a row. Got cut from the UFC spent three years away from the UFC and then fought his way back up through the smaller uh, the smaller shows to get another chance at uh, the UFC. Um, so this was a good fight. Um, 
you know, Jack Shore used a body triangle in, in round one to his advantage, uh, you know, had some nasty knees. He had a real, um, Aaron Phillips had a really nice reversal off of a takedown in round one to improve his position. Um, generally, you know, Jack Shore used uh, his strikes to set up his takedowns and his submissions. Uh, Aaron Phillips tried a, a Superman punch in round two and got taken down. Um, and that's pretty much how it ended up. Um, so Jack Shore won uh, a round two stoppage by submission to a, a rear naked choke off of that Superman punch uh, to the takedown. The next fight was at women's flyweight. Um, this one was kind of funny. It was Diana Belbita versus uh, Luana Jojua. These are the, this is the fight that had the coolest nicknames. So we had... Uh, Diana, the Warrior Princess Velbita versus Liana She-Wolf Jojua. Oh, nice. So, good uh, good nicknames there. Those are my coolest nicknames of, of the match, uh, of the fight card. This was at flyweight. Um, so, Velbita went with good strikes early to the clinch and takedown. Uh, Jojua then pulled guard and got an armbar finish in round one. So that was a really great fight. Um, both of them, you know, I think we'll see him again. It was a good fight. The third fight was at men's featherweight. It was Jared Flash Gordon hmm. ver yeah. versus Chris, uh, Chris Fishgold, which I'm sure there's a joke there, but we're not going to go there. Um, Fishgold missed weight, so he missed weight by four pounds. He came in at 149. Um this was a pretty competitive fight, um, regardless of what the uh, the cards say. Um, in the early rounds, um, when it finally got to round three, it wasn't so competitive. But uh, Gordon uh, got a nice single, uh, got a nice single leg hip switch off a of turtle in round one. Um, Fishgold had a really sweet float over to escape a guillotine in in round one. The one thing I noticed about this entire card was there were a lot of single legs that ended up in guillotine. So they, the guys always had their head on the outside. They get caught in the guillotine and either they had to defend either they had to defend or the, um, the guy who's getting taken down and who hooked in the guillotine burnt a lot of energy. It went kind of back and forth throughout the, the, the entire, uh, card, but there were, there was a lot of single legs to, to guillotines this one. Um, Paul Felder was actually in Jared Gordon's corner yes. for this fight. Jared Gordon's entire coaching staff tested positive, so he would have nobody in his corner. Yep. And when Paul Felder heard about it earlier in the week, he said, if you want, I'm there. And it was actually cool. I didn't get to see the fights because of my work schedule, but I did get to see that because I'm a big Paul Felder guy. And he got up from his announcing position, went to the back, and came out with him. Yep. So, um, this one ended up going to a decision. Uh, the cards were 30-26. So, um, Fishgold did have a 10-8 round mm -hmm. in there. He spent most of the time uh, in, in round two and round three on the bottom. Um, so, it didn't turn out real well for him. The next fight, the next fight was a weird one. Um, we had Modestus Busakis, the Baltic Gladiator, not bad, versus uh, Andreas Michalidis, 
the Spartan. Uh, that gentleman was from Greece. Modestus Busaukis was the former Cage Warrior um, light heavy champ. Uh, so this one went, it went really weird. So um, Bukowskis was really fast and really long. He had very um, good footwork, good movement. Um, he was very dynamic. Mikolitis was a little bit heavier on his feet, but his striking was still good. So you had Bukowskis being, you know, a lot of movement, very not flashy, but just a lot of movement, using a lot of feints, um, changing levels where Mikolitis was a little more steady, you know, good boxing stance, ready to go. Um, the fight, the first round ended with uh, Mikolitis trying to take uh, Bukowskis down and pinning him up against the cage. Uh, uh, Busakis, I'll get it right here in a minute. Busakis started um, elbowing uh, Mikolitis in the side of the head. There was some question about whether they were um, six. well, yeah, where they and whether they were behind, where they're in the Mohawk area, um, but they weren't. But they were really good hard elbows. The the buzzer sounded. They separated. Mikolitis went down to his knee and was holding his head, obviously because he had gotten elbowed numerous times in the back of the head. Um, the ref was talking to him, asking was was he okay? Did you think those were illegal shots? You know, do you want to protest? Basically, and he was not responding basically at all. The break happened right in front of the door. So when um, Mikolitis's corner opened the door to come into the cage, he went to fall back onto the cage and fell out of the cage. He didn't actually go on the apron. Somebody was there and they caught him. Um, but at that point, the ref called the fight. Yeah. Um, I don't think that he was, I think going out of the cage was an accident, right? I don't think he realized that the door was open. He wasn't necessarily, I don't think he was out on his feet, but he was not. Yeah, he was not responding to the ref because yeah. the ref was asking him direct questions and he was down on his knees rubbing his head and then he topples out of the cage. So I don't think it was a bad call on the ref's part. It was just weird. Well, it's visual. I mean, if you're not answering the ref and that's one of the big things they tell him, if you do not answer us, you, we will call the fight because we, we're going to determine that you are not capable of defending yourself because you have to be able to answer them. Uh, and him falling down like that, whether he meant to sit down and, the, like you said, the door was open and he kind of tumbled out, that right there is visual enough and the referee's not going to take a chance. Because if he lets him continue and he gets really, really hurt, it's on the referee for letting it. Yeah. And uh, also, Busakis actually trained with Jacare before this fight. Oh, okay. So that was a good one as well. Um, the, the next fight was male flyweight. We had Lerone the Muscle Murphy versus uh, Ricardo Hamas. Um, he was actually fighting out of alpha male. Um, this, was a good, this was a good fight. Um, the muscle lived up to his name. Um, lots of ground and pound. The opponent really, you know, Hamos had no real answer. Um, there was a good, um, 
he had a good push elbow the whole time. I mean, rather than using the overtop elbow, he used that underhand push elbow to create space. Hikaru Ahamas had this weird little, I don't know what to call it, it was like a cross back kick. He would actually kick behind his front foot to the lead leg of the opponent. It didn't do anything, but it was this really weird tempo break. Yeah. It wasn't doing any damage. Bisbing kept saying, quit doing it. Because it didn't really do anything, but it was it was kind of entertaining. Um, but Larone uh, uh, Murphy ended up getting a TKO in the first round versus Hamas. It was a competitive match, um, but it was again it was a lot of activity on Hamas's part, um, changing levels versus a more staid uh, striker in uh, in Murphy. But it was a pretty good fight. So the the last fight, <laughs> the last fight on the undercard was pretty freaking crazy. Um, we you had John Phillips, and I'm gonna do my best to get this gentleman's ra- name right. But you had John Phillips um, versus uh, Hamazat Chimaev, and Hamazat Chimaev actually fought on the Saturday card. He stay he was the gentleman with the 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 beard and, mm-hmm. and the shaved head. He stayed in Abu Dhabi to fight again. And, and he's and, fighting again in two weeks. Yes. He's fighting again in ten days. So Ten days from this past Saturday. So not this Saturday, but next. He will fight again. Which is crazy. Yeah, he's going to fight three times. So um, this one was ridiculously one-sided. Um, Shemaev came out round one. So Phillips is kind of known to be a brawler. He's a big, he was you know, kind of a big stocky dude. He likes to get in just brawling fights, you know. I don't want to say no technique, but he's not known for, you know, his effective use of range and his, his good takedowns. He's, he's, a, he's a Welsh brawler. He's a stand in, a, stand in there and fight. He's a stand and bang kind of guy. So, um... The fight started, and Chimaev came out with the slickest high kick to shoot for takedown in one movement I've ever seen. He literally did the high kick, and rather than plant his foot, it came down and he shot for a single. Awesome. It was very slick. And that was the story of the fight. He took down Phillips, tied him up. Um, tied up his outside leg kind of in the leg version of that Dagestani handcuff Mm -hmm. and just started pounding, just ground and pound. Um, The first round strikes, uh, significant strikes were 72 to 1. And that was it. Um, So somehow Phillips made it through the first round. Round 2 basically went the same. Chimaev got the takedown. He got into a neon belly. Phillips tried to roll into Chimaev. Uh, Chimaev got um, Chimaev uh, fished the the inside arm and locked up a Brabo, uh, Brabo Doris, and choked him out in the beginning of round two. And it was so totally one sided. It wasn't funny. Um, on the way out of the cage, he looked at Dana and said, I will stay in Abu Dhabi if you put me on the Saturday card. And Dana said, fuck yeah, you got it. And that's how he ended up on the Saturday card. Yep. Um, so th- those were the undercards. Like I said, they were all pretty good. Um, they, were, they were interesting. The thing that 
set the main card again uh, apart from the undercard is the main card each of the combatants was so well balanced against each other that all of the fights were competitive and all of the fights were entertaining from a very technical level there were no there were no blowouts Every fight on the main card went to a decision, and typically you say, wow, that, that really sucks, but they were all so well-matched and so competitive that every fight was great, even though they went to, they all went to a decision. Um, so the first fight on the main card was Abdul Razak Alshan versus Munir Lazir. Munir the Sniper <laughs> Lazir. Um, this was a welterweight. Um, all ten of Al Hassan's fight were round one knockouts, and Munir uh, Laziz was the kickboxing coach at Team Noguera in Dubai. Okay, so you, really awesome. Uh, two really awesome guys. Um, so uh, Laziz got had really good hands. Got a takedown at the end of round one. Um, one of the things that I really thought was cool about Laziz was he helped Al Hazan up at the end of round one. I, I always dig that kind of show of sportsmanship. Yeah. You know, rather than leaving the guy down and walking off, he helped the dude up and you know gave him a hug. Um, really good kicks and knees has. Uh, uh, Laziz had really good kicks and knees in round one. Um, obviously, right, because he's the kickboxing coach for Team Noguera. Had the meanest short knee to the ribs I've ever seen. He had this this way of... He was much taller than, than uh, Al-Hassan, but he had this way of getting under and delivering a knee right under the armpit of um, Al-Hassan. And it was just ugly nasty. Had some really weird refing in round two. Um, so uh, Laziz was in mount, uh, but Hassan ha uh, or Al Hassan had a front headlock. So it was like guillotine, guillotine front headlock, but Laziz was in mount. And the ref told Laziz to advance position or he was going to stand them up. He's in mount. Yeah. How do you advance position? Just as best as you can be is in mount. Right. Um, so he, the, the ref ended up standing him up at that point. So stood back up. Um, round two. Round two was basically the same. Good back and forth. Al Hassan. This is one of those fights where if they had been matched against anyone else, there would have been a knockout. Both Al Hassan's got a hell of a chin, and so does uh, so does Laziz. They were knocking on each other like you wouldn't believe. It was a really great fight. If it, if they had been matched against anybody else, it would have been a knock. It would have been a knockout on either side. Um, in round three, uh, Al Hassan finally got a takedown, but um, and he was shooting for takedowns the entire match. But uh, Laziz did a really good job of stuffing them. And getting away. He finally got one in round three, but Laziz popped right back up. Um, it went back down to the ground in round three, and I was kind of interested to see what Laziz would do on the ground since he was so good in stand up. 
His groundwork's as good as his stand-up. He had really good top control. He got inside control um, at towards the middle of round three. And again, the ref came in and said, advance your position or I'm going to stand you up. Okay, if you don't have mount, side control is probably the next best thing you can get if you're on top. But you get these referees who know nothing about jiu-jitsu. And if they see them taking some time, they make them stand up. I mean, you have seen them do it to Damian Maya. He he had a guy's back had hooks in, and they stood him up. He had worked a whole round to get yeah. hooks in, had the guy's back, and the ref stood him up. It it, it, it was some weird refereeing yeah. in, in in this particular match. Paul Felder, who was in the commentary team, actually said, "Hey, I want this guy," and he was being sarcastic, of course, but he's like. I'm going to ask for this guy to be the ref on all the fights because he just stands them up and lets them fight. Yeah. So, anyway, um, I'm really impressed with, with Munir Laziz. I think he's... You haven't seen the last of him, and I'll, you really haven't seen the last of Al-Hassan either. They are both very talented at welterweight, and I think they're both going to make a name for each other, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see them meet again in a couple of years after they run up through the rankings and, and gotten a little bit more experience. They were both very good. But uh, Munir Laziz took home uh, the decision uh, after three rounds. Um, so the next fight was Molly Meatball McCann yeah. versus uh, Talia Santos. Um, this was women's flyweight. And again... The fights, this fight was so competitive back and forth that I, I would hate to have been the judge. The only weird thing that happened was um, there was a vicious hair grab in round one by Talia Santos against Molly McCann. And it, was, it wasn't like, oopsie, my hands got caught in your braid. Santos had her hands fully wrapped up in both of McCann's braids and pulled her hair back and looked like she was going to punch her in the face and the ref stepped in and was like no no more don't do that again and it it was it was it was blatant and it was vicious um but levey or sorry santos was was very dominant um on the ground in round two and in round three um molly mccann when she was on her feet Switch stances a lot, had really good movement, but She's just a good boxer. Yeah, she just didn't have a lot of answers to Santos grappling on the ground, but she did survive well. Um, so it was a good match. Uh, Santos got the win again via decision. Um, good fight. Uh, I like Molly McCann. I like the, I don't know the meatball name. I just find funny, um, but it, it was a good fight again. Very competitive. Um, Third fight on on the card, Jimmy El Terrior Rivera versus Cody the Spartan Stamen. And you'll notice that we've got another Spartan. So we had two Spartans mm-hmm. on this particular card. Jimmy Rivera was at one point they thought was going to be the a thing. Yeah. yeah, he was. He I, beat Uriah Faber. He dropped. He beat. He had a couple quick wins, and then he just kind of fell off. I like Rivera. He he had the, the, the fight versus Faber and, and some of the other ones before he started to fill up right. Really high pressure, high tempo. Great leg kicks. Great leg kicks. Very energetic. Um, it's like he went away from his leg kicks. Yeah. Because that's where he was getting all his wins from. I mean, he beat 
Faber's legs up so bad, Faber couldn't stand. Yeah, he, that was... He went away in... Later. Well, he had, he had a, a, a gigantic hematoma yeah. in his leg. They thought he was going to have blood clots. Mm-hmm. I think they put him on blood thinners yep. after that he, fight. I mean, and Rivera was doing it to everybody. He was just leg-kicking people to, to the end. And then he went away from it and wanted to just, just be a boxer, and he was getting knocked out. Because instead of keeping his distance, he wanted to close on everybody, and he was just getting jacked. And he just went from being, hey, he's going to be a title contender to he's gone for a while. Yeah. So when they opened, when it opened, they came out, um, and the opening, the opening shots were hard because uh, Rivera opened up on Stamen, and Stamen opened up right back. It was two, it was two hard shots, one right after the other. Um, these guys were evenly matched. They were going at it very hard everywhere. Um, Stamen showed a really great reversal against the cage in round one. Rivera was tearing him up with body shots. Um, had a really slick, there was a really slick uh, little exchange in round one where they tied up. Rivera slipped to the side and got around behind Stamen and actually was delivering body shots from the rear, mm. which is not something you see very often. Yeah. Um, Stamen had a really nice jumping knee in round two. I'm really surprised it didn't put uh, Rivera out. When they did tie up, and in rounds two and three, they spent a little bit more time on the cage. The grappling that went on, it didn't look very exciting, but it was very high level, very nuanced grappling against the cage. A lot of reversals against the cage, you know, one of them going, them going back and forth. Really, really high level grappling. A very impressed standing grappling on both sides. Um, again, I would have really hated to be the ref, the, the judges on this one, but Rivera took the win. Um, you know, he was ranked number eight coming into this fight. Stamen was ranked number nine. Uh, so two very close uh, guys in ranking, and it showed. Uh, this was a very competitive fight. I really enjoyed this one. Um, so the, the co-main for this particular card was at flyweight. You had Tim Elliott versus uh, Ryan ben- Ryan Benoit, Ryan Babyface Benoit, um, who had Gary Tonin in his corner. Wow. So yeah, he he fights out of New York. He's a Henzo Gracie guy. Um, he I don't based on something that happened in the fight. I'm guessing he's a member of the Danaher Death Squad. Considering, like I said, Tonin was in his corner. Yeah. Um, but he, he fights out of that New York stable from Henzo and Henzo's guys. And Tim Elliott, perennial favorite, regardless of what haircut he's got, whether he's doing the Joe Dirt thing yeah. or the Mohawk or, right? And he's a brawler. He's brawler. just a straight up brawler. Um, you know, two runs through the, the Ultimate Fighter mm-hmm. uh, process and a title, a title contender at flyweight multiple times. And Tim Elliott was Tim Elliott. You know, crazy rhythm, you know, a lot of activity, hands down, you know, just being crazy Tim Elliott. Um, Ryan, Ryan Benoit, really good hands, had a nasty heel hook to knee bar reversal in round two. I really thought um, Elliott was going to tap because he was grimacing like crazy. And they got tied up in a weird... Kind of 50-50. Benoit had a had an had an ankle lock or had a heel hook, and Elliot had a knee bar, and 
I really wasn't sure how that one was going to turn out. That one was good. Um, Elliot hurt his hand in round three, and you could see him futzing with his ring finger on his, I believe it was his left hand. He was trying to like pop it back into socket because they would be on a break and he'd, he'd fiddle with it for a little bit and then he'd put it up and start you know, parrying a little bit and then he'd, he'd back back up and fiddle with it a little bit and he's trying to pop it back into socket. Um, but it didn't seem to do him any harm because he took the third round decision. Uh, again, really good, really competitive fight. Um, None of these, none of the fights on the main were, they were all so competitive. It was, it was a great card if you were interested in technique and, and competitive and fights. And fights, not just knockouts. Exactly. Um, so the, the, the main event um, was uh, Calvin Cater versus Dan, e, Dan 50K Ige. Dan is coming off of a win against Ensign Barboza. And Barboza is one of the scariest dudes out there at yep. featherweight. I mean, if you can get past Barboza, that's saying something. Uh, and Calvin Cater came into this fight with a chip on his shoulder because he thought everybody was overlooking him. Yep. Um, you know, Ige went through the uh, Dana White uh, is looking for a fight series, got passed up for a contract, got some wins took this call, and came in. Um, again, just a really great competitive fight. I, I know I keep saying that, but if you didn't see the card, it's hard to, to point out anything that stood out because everything was so awesome. Um, you know, Round one, you know, good center fighting. Calvin Cater was, was holding the center, keeping, you know, and Dan Ige was happy to be on the outside circle. Um, Round two, uh, Calvin Cater came out with a crazy flying knee, um, you know, pushing the final second. And the thing about Calvin Cater is he had very good clock awareness. And at the end, at the last 30 seconds of every round, he really turned up the pace and made sure to put an exclamation point on the round. Yep. Whether it was increased tempo and increased strikes or shooting for a takedown or he did something every round. To put the exclamation point on the round and say, "Look at me!" Yeah, this five minutes was mine. Um, so in a close fight, sometimes that's what it takes. That last forty-five seconds to a minute, if you can win that, a judge would like, "Okay, he won. He won that round." Yep. So you know, from round like it's a good competitive uh, fight from rounds one through three. In round four, you could see Ige starting to get tired. He started looking for more takedowns. He started throwing less combinations and more singles. Um, Cater came up with probably the best um, recovery from a single leg I've ever seen. Uh, Ige shot in for a single, a good driving single, got um, Cater's leg up and started driving on him. Cater knew he was losing his balance. He jumped in the air with his free leg and reset. Wow. And defended the takedown. It was one of the most impressive displays of body awareness and just knowing where he was and what was going to happen I've ever seen. It was very impressive. Uh, so Calvin Cater took that, that five-round decision. Um, again, very close fight. Um, very competitive fight. The last two rounds... 
was really what did it for Cater. Um, and just the fact that he was putting that stamp on the end of every round saying, this five-minute segment's mine, and it, the judges obviously took it that way. Um, so those were the fights on Wednesday. Again, good card, um, especially if you're into technique and um, competitive fights, but not necessarily slobber knockers or, or blowouts. Yeah, you, you, if you're not looking for blood and a knockout, sometimes those technical decision fights are good. So we'll go to Saturday, which is where I caught it. And it was a lot different than Wednesday nights. We had a lot of decisions. We had a couple decisions in the preliminaries and then a lot of blowouts in the main card. Preliminary, they had a lot of up-and-coming fighters. And that's the one cool thing about this Fight Island thing and just Dana White, period. He's putting on so many shows that he's bringing us guys that we may never have seen before and giving these guys and women opportunities. And a lot of them will probably stick around and get a contract. You know, And some of them will probably go back down and fight elsewhere. But it's good, good for them. You know, they got some exposure. They got to get up to the big show, and they'll probably get to come back. So the first round, first fight of the prelims, the heavyweight, Carlos Felipe versus Sergey Spivak. This fight, Carlos Felipe came in. You know, he's undefeated before he came to the UFC. He's a knockout artist. Uh, he's from Brazil. He came in really, f basically, full of himself. Spivak controlled the fight. He controlled the distance. He controlled the grappling. He, he was the better fighter. And at the end of the fight, when Spivak won the decision, Felipe started carrying on. He was a very sore loser. They actually had to separate him. Because really? Felipe started, yes, Felipe got really out of hand. And the teams had to get between them. Because Spivak was like, fine, come on, we'll go again. And he... It was very, very unsportsmanlike. So I don't, I don't know if Felipe, we'll see Felipe again. This is his first round in the UFC because Dana White's at ring, you know, Kate's out watching that, and that's not a good thing for him. He, you should be a sportsman. You don't win want to show lose, your ass in front of the boss. Win or lose, you don't want to be like, oh, you know, and start carrying on. Uh, next fight, lightweight bout, was Davy Ramos and Armand, Armand Tasakin. This fight was good. These were two good grapplers. Uh, you had a ground, you know, a guy who's, you know, known for being for the ground, a guy known for being striking. It's Tasman, Tasmanian Devil, and I'm sorry, I can't even pronounce Armin's nickname. It's like uh, Akalek Kits. That was his fighting name. I have no idea what it means. You know, I hate, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to abuse it. But this fight was... Fairly one-sided. Armand, he out-threw him. Significant strikes. Had the only takedown of the fight. It was 118 total strikes to 49. Oof. 91 significant strikes to 33. And he had the only takedown. I mean, you had, you know, it was just basically one-sided. Davey Ramos, he looked good. But it was just like everything he did, Armin was just that much better. It was a decision fight. You know, it was pretty good. Again, like I said, you want to watch the, you know, these guys get after it. It was good. Then we get to uh, 
Next fight is Brett Jones, Malcolm Gordon versus Amir Albez. Malcolm Jordan's been around a while. Malcolm X versus The Prince. He's been around a while. I think this is Amir. I think this was his first appearance. And he took full advantage. He used great combinations, good footwork, took the fight to the ground, and uh, got the submission, got a choke. It was over four minutes, 41 seconds of the first round. So it went almost a whole round. Next fight, Brett Jones versus Montel Jackson. Again, this is Bantamweights. Uh, the Pikey, Brett Jones versus Montel Quick Jackson. Uh, Does he like dogs? Yeah. Hey. The, you know, strikes were Jackson's. You know, he was getting all the strikes, landing a higher percentage. I mean, think about it this way. Total strikes, 80 versus 30. But eight takedowns. Versus two, Pikey went eight, went, had 19 attempts and landed eight of them. And that was the difference in each round, was he just kept taking Montel Jackson down. He didn't do a whole lot with each takedown. Jackson did get up really well. But he was scoring the takedowns. But he was getting the takedowns. And Jackson would light him up, and Brad Jones would take him down. Which was, you know, smart on him on his behalf. I mean... If you're getting lit up on your feet, hey, take him down. Then we go to Joe Duffy versus Joe Alvarez. Now, this fight coming out, I had Joe Duffy winning. I was like, that's, you know, Joe the Irish Duffy, El Phenomeno, Joe Alvarez, who's from Spain. It's one of the only Spanish front, you know, fighters we actually have in the UFC. I think, I think he is the only one from Spain. Joe Duffy not that long ago, was up and coming. Was going to be the next contender. Yeah. He, had a, he had a couple bad knockouts. So he's been coming back. He, him and Joel Alvarez exchanged, you know, some quick strikes early in the, in the uh, round. Duffy went for a sloppy double leg, had his head way too high, got put in a brutal choke, got choked out. Mm. Like out, out. Yeah, he was he was done, uh. and then retired. Really, Joe Duffy retired after the fight. He said he no longer has it anymore, and he's done. I'm I'm a little disappointed, but he's had I think this was his fourth straight loss, and he probably would have been cut from the UFC anyway, and so he went ahead and retired. He was a fun fighter when he was making his yeah. run. Two minutes, twenty six seconds into the first round. Wow. It was it was the a very very sloppy double leg. He didn't have his hands together. He had his head way up on the side, nowhere near the hip. Had it up on the side, mm. and Alvarez just reached under and just locked that in. I mean, it was textbook. What we learned in jujitsu: keep your head down. And he just well, it. and when you shoot a single, right? It's keep your head on the inside, yeah. right? Which is one of the things that I wondered from the, the the fight on Wednesday is I don't know if 
because you wrestled, right? Mm -hmm. Were you taught single legs differently in wrestling? Yeah, single legs because you weren't worried about the choke. You're not going to get choked in wrestling. Okay. There's no chokes. So he might get a headlock or he might reverse it, but most of the time you weren't worried about the choke. So your head, you would kind of, you weren't as worried about it because you're not getting choked. Gotcha. You're not okay. going to get punched, you're not going to get choked. The next fight was Grant Dawson's versus Sad Naramani, uh, which, you know, nicknames KGD and Smiler. Like, okay. Whatever. This was a, a striker fight. It was pretty much all Grant Dawson. He controlled the fight from the get-go. 136 total strikes, uh, two takedowns. I mean, he just controlled the fight and easily, you know, won the decision. It was pretty one-sided. Uh, then we get the main event of uh, the prelims is Roman Dolez versus Cadis Ibergrinoff. Two heavyweights. Uh, these dudes, you know, they... Went after each other right off the bat. They were, you know, throwing pretty hard. Roman uh, Dulez showed pretty quickly, though. He had the striking. And he got a knockout in the first round with... And it was in one intentional. He threw a high kick. And Cadiz Igmarnoff leaned in. So instead of getting... To, I guess he thought he was going to go under it. So instead of getting caught with the foot, he got caught with the knee and the temple and went oh. out. Cadis Igmarov was so dazed, he didn't know where he was. And Michael Bisbing was like, can somebody please get in, in there and help the man? Because he was lost. Roman was celebrating and... So they closed, they, they called the fight and they were letting him stagger around? No, he was on all fours. Just looking around like, what's going on? Where oh, am wow. I? That's even worse. And he was just looking around like they hadn't opened the cage yet. No doctors had come in. And he was just like looking around like, what happened? Where am I? I mean, he got hit that hard. He was done done. And he wow. took probably two nasty backhands when he hit the ground before they caught it. And so he was on, on, on Ferry Street. He was out there. He was seeing stars and dust and everything else. He was seeing Twinkle Bell, man. He was out there. He was in... Never, never land. Roman Dulles just teased. I mean, it was a brutal. It would have been a bad kick enough with the foot, but that knee connecting to that temple, that was that. Yeah. Was that. It, was, it was all she wrote. All right, so now we're back to the, pre, now we're to the main card. First fight on the main card is Alexandra the Cannibal Pantoja. Versus, the cannibal. The cannibal versus Askar the Bullet Askoff. Now, if you want to see a striker's fight, this ain't it. This was 71 punches versus 66. Not a whole lot of punching. One takedown, two takedowns. But this was a against the cage, grappling, I'm, you know, feigning reversing, controlling. Uh, Askar, As he, uh, he got the decision. He had two takedowns, but he went for 15. It was all about taking it, taking it to the ground. 
This was legitimate just grappling. This was jujitsu, grappling on the mat, a lot of just controlling, and it, it got him it got him the win. I mean it was pretty his grappling was better. And when it comes to it, you know, especially for flyweights, you're not gonna get a whole lot of knockouts for flyweights. You're gonna get uh, uh, a lot of you know, they're not known for 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 knockouts anyway. So this was a good fight. This was a good controlling fight. So the next fight, this was probably my favorite fight of the night. This was also one performance of the night. So this is a $50,000 bonus to the winner. Nice. Now this is the best, to me, the best nicknames of the night. This is a woman's fight. All right. What do you got? This is Aaron, the Queen of Violence, Lipsky, versus Luana Dread, Carolina. Carolina, both from Brazil. So you, you know, should expect good grappling. Both of these are known for their grappling. Ariane Lipsky won performance of the night. This went to the mat quickly. Uh, off of, uh, it really wasn't any takedowns. It was uh, strikes. They were against the cage. They went down. Uh, Carolina went for a calf slicer. She had... Lipsky in in the calf slicer. So you're like, oh, that had to hurt. Well, Queen of Valance turns her back to her. So now it doesn't hurt as much. So instead of Carolina releasing the calf slicer and taking her back, because now the you know, Lipsky is now sitting with her back to her, Carolina still held on to the calf slicer, which means your legs are now in front of your opponent. So Lipsky, living up to the Queen of Violence, grabs her outside, grabs Carolina's outside leg, pulls it straight, starts smiling, and then hyperextends her knee the wrong way to the point to where there's no fans. So you can hear the nasty pop, and you oh. can hear Carolina scream. Oh. The referee was already running in to stop the fight on a verbal tap. So most people don't understand, if you scream or loud, let out a loud noise in a painful, what they call a painful manner, that is a verbal tap. So if you get hurt and you make a noise, the referee can stop the fight on a verbal tap. She was tapping as the referee was flying in off the screen. And oh. Ariana was smiling through the whole thing. Jumped up, celebrated. I mean, she was, she's honest. She's the queen of violence. This is what she's here for. It took her one minute, 27 seconds. She will see this young lady. I do believe we may have uh, some really good fights left for her. Lipsky, I don't think we'll see her anytime soon because I have not found anything yet. But the way that knee looked and the fact that she couldn't stand up, they had to carry her out of the cage and they had to carry her to the back. I'm gonna go with her knee is blast. Yeah, just the, if the if there was a pop that you could hear that loud, she's, she screamed. Yeah, it she's wasn't ow that hurt. It was a scream, a guttural scream. It it hurt me watching that. I was like, there goes that knee, because you can hear it pop and then she's screaming. And it, 
I think I have a new favorite fighter in Lipsky because <laughs> that girl was smiling through the thing, and she's living up to the queen of violence. All right, next fight. Mark, the Bone Crusher, DeCasey versus Raphael Adamon uh, Fazev. This one fight of the night. This was a great back-and-forth fight. Uh, Mark DeCasey, this is his second stint in the UFC. Uh, he's really good. This was Rafael Fazev's debut. DeCasey is a known striker. Fazev, uh, he had to be good because he is one of the instructors at Tiger Muay Thai. So mm. you expect the guy who is an instructor to be good at Muay Thai, and he lived up to it. His Muay Thai was top-notch, and that was the difference in the fight. He won a decision, but these two guys beat on each other the whole fight. There's only one takedown. It didn't stay long. Uh, Fazev landed a takedown. Uh, it was more of a control takedown. Uh, Casey had the height and the range, but... Rafael Fazev, once he got inside, and the knees, elbows were just awesome. They beat on each other, uh, but to Casey got tired. You can see it. He was getting hit a lot harder. The total of strikes landed isn't that far off. Uh, Fazev landed 82 of 128. DeCasey landed 73 of 153. He threw more, but he had a lower landing rate. He only, you know, he landed 44% to 64%. Significant strikes were 68-78 for Fazev. <clears throat> but the difference was is those significant strikes were lighting DeCasey up. He was getting hurt. He was getting rocked. He got wobbled a couple times. So, this was a fight of the night. It was a great back-and-forth fight, but uh, Fazev controlled two or three rounds. He won two or three, and you will see... I think you'll see DeCasey again. This was, like I said, this is his second stint in the UFC, but he put on a great performance, so I can see him fighting again. And Fazev, he said he's willing to fight whoever, whenever. He wants to fight again. He wants to fight soon. So, you know... There's, there's fights there. But then we get into the co-main event and the main event, and that's where all the fun goes away. The co -main that's not the way that's supposed to work. Yeah, I know, right? The co-main event. I was excited. I was more excited about the co-main event than a main event because it's Jack Hermanson, Jack the Joker Hermanson, who is a up-and-coming fighter. He's been beating on people. He's... Uh, his ground game is ridiculous. He's got, I think, more submissions than uh, stoppages. These are middleweights. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum isn't that far removed from title contention. Uh, this was supposed to be his fight back to get back in the running. Mm -hmm. Basically, what you're looking at is... Uh, you're looking at number seven versus number six. Jack Hermanson was a little higher ranked, but you pretty much were looking at whoever won this fight at middleweight would probably get a title shot if next if or right after. Because these two guys are right there in the middle of the pack. They're both young. Gaslam has fought for the title. Did a great job. And Hermanson, you know, same thing. He hasn't fought for a title yet, but he's 
beating people. Problem was, they uh, threw a total of three punches combined. Combined? Combined. Uh, <laughs> neither, you know, it was not a fighter's punt. It wasn't for striking. Hermanson went for a takedown. He got it. Gaslam on the way down reversed it as they were going down. Rolled it over. Did a little float over. Perfect. Went on top. They started scrambling. Hermanson got a hold of Gaslam's leg. And this is where it shows that a lot of these UFC guys still are not prepared for heel hooks and knee bars. Because instead of defending his leg, Gaslam was just standing up trying to get away and didn't do anything to protect that leg. Hermanson sunk it in and got a heel hook. Finished the fight in one minute, 20 seconds. The memes that came off of this fight, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't get to see this fight, but I know how it ended. Just because the memory on social media about this fight was just out of control. Everybody was talking about either making fun of casuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't understand. What, how could that hurt Gaston's foot? And everybody's like, wait a minute. It's, about, it's all about the knee. It's yeah. not about the foot. The foot is not yeah. A heel hook isn't hurting your heel. It's messing up your knee. Bad. It's just the way you're grabbing the foot to apply pressure on the knee. So people, yeah, again, casuals don't understand. But this, Kevin Gaston apologized. It's, it is a fluke, but the thing is he did not, I do not think he was prepared, prepared for a heel hook attack. And Hermanson, as soon as that thing was available, he went for it. And literally... Bisbee's yelling to him to Gaslam, kick him in his butt. Protect your foot. You have to kick him in his butt. Because basically, when Gaslam is standing, Hermanson is down. And he's he's got a hold of Gaslam's leg. So Gaslam's defense is either A, sit down and face him, or start kicking him to make him let go. So he's got, I mean, he could have started throwing his foot back. He could have stomped. He could have did something. But it's like he was just like, oh, I'm just going to pull my leg away. And pull it, straighten that leg out is what Hermanson wanted him to do. Because as soon as he straightened his leg to pull it away, it locked that heel hook in. And Hermanson turned on it, and that was it. Fight's over. the, The perception is that heel hooks and leg locks don't work. They do work, just in mixed martial arts, they're very low percentages. It's a very low percentage submission because there are so many counters. And you can get punched in the face. Exactly. Because there are so many different defenses that in grappling tournaments, right, there are fewer defenses because you can't hit the guy in the face. You can't kick him in the face. They're relatively low percentage submissions, but... They're still there. They're still there, and people don't learn how to defend them because they are considered so low percentage of a finish. Well, we're starting to see them more and more. And almost, You see them, a lot of people, I guess, like you said, casual fans aren't even looking, but I saw them repeatedly through Saturday Night's fights where somebody would grab somebody and go for an ankle lock or they'd go for a hill hook or they're going for a knee bar every time they were scrambling. You see guys start reaching for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got the queen of violence 
sitting out of a cast slicer and saying, well, there's your knee. You're not going to defend it. I'm going to break it. And, hey, you've got, uh, going back to her, a reporter and a uh, black belt in jiu-jitsu defended her. Not to a point where, hey, you know, what she did, you know, she blew her knee. But, hey, they're fighters. You're, you're, you get in, you're in there to hurt each other. Like it or not, that's what you're there for. You're there to rearrange each other's body parts. But he flat out was talking about, you know, his, you know he's married to a Japanese uh, wife. And she told him once that you'd better learn to submit people. This being nice to people and losing fights won't count. And he said when he first went to his first uh, tournament in Japan, she flat out said there's no excuses. If you have him, you beat him. If he won't tap, you break it. And he learned really quick that people don't tap. He says it you know, feels like spaghetti popping, but hey, you won't tap, I will break it. And a lot of these guys I don't think are prepared for what's coming with these newer up-and-coming fighters. They're going for knee bars. They're going for hill hooks. And these scrambles, they're there. Especially if they know how to, how to land it and protect themselves. Hermanson was so stretched out that Gaslam couldn't kick him. The only thing he could kick was his butt. His re- literally, his butt was the only thing that could be reached. He had turned. He was protecting his face. He had a hold of the leg. And he was his whole body length was away from Gaslam. He knew what he was doing, and he knew how to protect himself. Uh, Mackenzie Dern got that knee bar. Mm-hmm. She did in a way to where she couldn't be punched, she couldn't be kicked. Lipsky, she turned her back and got a hold of the leg, knowing that she can't be hit. Unless the girl gives up on the calf slicer to take her back. And when she didn't, she get left her leg there. Once she got a hold of the leg, it was all over. It fucked the screaming in the end of the fight. As they say, it's all over but the crying. Then we move, you know, it was... Gaslam's not done. We will see him again. This is the fourth straight loss, though. Gaslam's had a bad streak, but he is a pretty good fighter. This was kind of a fluke. Dana White saw it. This was more of a fluky thing. Uh, I think we'll see Gaslam again. I don't think he's going anywhere. We'll probably see. You know, he'll probably get another fight. If he loses again, he probably will be done because he was a coach on the Ultimate Fighter. Yes, he was. So, he's got some name you know. recognition. He he's not that far away from a five round, you know, title contention. He you know knocked Bisbing out. <laughs> He just needs to get himself together yeah, and get a good figure camp out what he's doing. Yeah. yeah, you know he uh, was. I think it was Cejudo that loaned him the belt so yeah. he could walk around with the belt yeah. before his his last title to fight. Uh, ta- yeah, he wasn't title defense. Yeah, he he you know, uh, Gaston was an interim interim title holder at middleweight. Yeah, I mean, so this is this he's legit. He he's just needs just, to figure out his game plan yeah. and. And come back from this. Yeah, and, I mean, he's he's had some ups and downs. He's been suspended He's because of marijuana. So you got to wonder if that's gotten into his head. So you've got – he's got – he's going to have to think of – decide what he wants to do. He's got to get a good camp. He said he's coming back to fight. Don't worry. He will fight again. I believe he will fight. He just – he needs to get a camp. He might need to change teams. I don't know. He needs to change some coaches. I don't know. But when you lose four in a row, something's not working for you. Yeah, and I th- if he goes to five, I, mean, I think he'll fight as long as he's got a contract. If he mm-hmm. goes to five straight losses, Dana's not typically been very tolerant. You know, three yeah. is the limit for yeah. for non household names. Yep. Kelvin is right on that 
edge of being a household name. Mm-hmm. So if he takes five in a row, it's probably yeah, it's probably that's probably it. We may see him somewhere else, right? We may see him in Bellator. We may see yeah. him Bellator. You can see him in, you know, at one. You know, there's I doubt he'd get a rising because that's more of a that's a freak show. Yeah, here come take all the blue pills. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just saying. I'm not saying. I don't know nothing. But the blue pills work better. It's uh, so the Ryzen contract is almost exactly the same as the old Pride contract, and it says we do not, not test. Drug, we do not drug test you, and here's some samples. <laughs> Again, hey, hey, I'm just saying it's a yeah. joke. It's a joke. Don't get upset. All right, the main event. I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't super excited about the main event because we just saw this fight in February. The only difference was. Figueroa was overweight, so he could not win the title. This was for the vacant title that Henry Suhuda vacated when he decided, hey, you know what, I'm done. And now he's saying, well, maybe I'm not. But maybe I am. I don't know. So this was the flyweight title belt. Uh, back in February, Figueroa knocked Benavidez out in the second round. But the controversy was he was, I think, six pounds over. He was a lot more over on fight night. So it was this big controversy. Figueroa come in, made easily made weight. He looked good. He took the whole you know time to lose it, so he wasn't st- stuffing at the end. Uh, Benavidez came in looking sharp. I expect I actually expected a longer fight, if not a decision, because they both made weight now. So there's you know both should be equal. Figueroa destroyed Benavidez. I mean, that's all you can say. He attacked and attacked. He beat Benavidez down, took him down, took his back, put him to sleep. He went to sleepy sleep. It wasn't choked to his tap. It was choked to he went to sleep. Benavidez was unconscious and in dreamy land. He was taking that magic carpet ride through the cosmos. Yes, he was seeing all the good stuff because I don't know if he, if he went out too fast because he'd already gotten pummeled on on the on the feet, but this fight was again performance of the night for Figueroa, and he destroyed Benavidez. Benavidez, you know, in the post fight said, "Hey, I lost again. I will never. That was that was probably my last title shot ever. I know that. I understand that. But I'm not quite done yet. I would like to fight some more." I could see Benavidez maybe fly, fighting again, but the flyweight, I mean, we, we're not even sure how long, much longer the flyweight's even going to exist in the UFC. Dana White's been on the board, you know, on the fence about whether or not he even wants to have flyweights because they're, they're not draws. Uh, Which is really a shame because the fights are usually very good. For, for people like me and you and the other guys that are there to watch good techni- technicians, Yes, but for the casual fans who just want to see blood and, and knockouts and gladiator fights, no. They're like, oh, they're just like... they. Uh, what are these little dudes doing fighting? Yeah, I don't want to see these little guys. I want to see the heavyweights. Well, I'll tell you what, most of the time heavyweights are boring. Heavyweight, yeah. That was the nice thing about the fights on Wednesday. There were no heavyweights. Yeah. I very rarely do you... I mean, you can get some good heavyweight fights, but a lot of times they're just... They've got to be championship caliber yeah. heavyweights. They've to got to be the be top exciting. of the heap. They need to be top ten, top of the heap. 
those kind of guys. It's got to be Stipe. Yeah. It's got to be an Andre Arlovsky. It's got to be yeah, an, yeah, Andre Arlovsky, who has got a salty record, but that man still in his forties will send you into Never Neverland. He will take a he will take a knockout and come right back. He is he's that guy, and I totally totally in for it. So. Now we're going to get into the up-and-coming fight this weekend for the UFC. Now this weekend, the main event and the main card, they look pretty good. The middleweight bout for the main event is Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till. So you got Robert Whitaker coming off, you know, he's the number one contender versus the number five contender, Darren Till, which is kind of... Dangerous for Whitaker because he is higher ranked. He's the number one contender for the title. He's taking a risk reaching that far down in the roster. You have, but again, we you know we like talking about nicknames. You have Robert the Reaper Whitaker versus Darren the, the Gorilla, Gorilla Till. Till. And not being mean to Darren Till because he could probably knock me into next week, but I wonder if it's because of that ugly tattoo on his arm. He's called Gorilla. It's supposed to be his girlfriend. I think his wife now. <laughs> but whoever did that tattoo, it come out looking like a gorilla. I'm just saying, brother. I'm sorry. Don't don't hurt me. <laughs> well, it's like what happens when the cute girl in uh, high school gets the tattoo of the shark on her ass. Yeah. By the time she's 40, it's a whale. Yeah, yeah. It, it don't do well. Yeah, probably I've seen his, you know, his... His his girl's been there. He's had he's got a very pretty woman. The tattoo didn't does not do her justice, and it just maybe it's because of they put it on his fore, on his arm, and it's just it looks stretched out. It does not look well. But that fight, I am super excited about. Uh, I got Whitaker taking it fourth round knockout because Darren Till has had some. He's only he's eighteen and two. But he, both losses were brutal. And he yeah. has a hard time making weight, yes. too. Well, this is middleweight. He's not, trying to, he's not trying to drop back down to 155. He's not trying to do all that. Uh, this is 185. So it's a little bit better than him yeah. trying to make 170. Because the dude walks around at like 220. And he's trying to make 170. He's a big boy. So co-main event, this will be a retirement fight for both these guys. From what they both have said. This is uh, Rua versus Nogueira. This is Big Nog. Both these guys said this is their last fight in the UFC. Probably their last Miss Martial Arts fight. They're both going to do um, submission grappling. Because they, you know, both are jiu-jitsu guys. You'll see them on, you know, those kind of things. But they're not going to fight anymore. This one... It could go either way. I think Nog will knock him. Will probably get the knockout because Rua. I just I don't see him uh, doing really well striking wise against Big Nog. But you never know if it goes to the ground. It's anyway's game. Nog's boxing is very good. He's got good. He's got good body awareness. He's got good distance, and he's got pretty good foot, footwork for a big boy. And I think he's just going he's gonna be smart about it. He's gonna probably use his striking to get to the ground and but he'll get use his striking to get control. So I get where you're I get where you're coming from, but don't forget that 
Hua comes from that old shoot box. Yes, I know. Camp. And this is this is almost flashback to the old days where it was shoot the box versus Brazilian top team. Mm-hmm. Because Big Nog was Brazilian top team. Yeah. And um, Shogun was shoot the box mm-hmm. along with Vanderlei, his bigger Bro- brother, brother Murilo, mm-hmm. uh, Ninja Ua, yep. and the whole shoot, um, Jose Pele Landin, and all those guys from Shoot the Box. So this is almost like a flashback fight to the old. The, yeah, this is that's what when I saw it was like, oh man, this is like this is uh, Dana White allowing two veterans to go out on their shields to have the fight they both want against each other as a retirement, kind of like a retirement gift. Thank you both for mm-hmm. everything you've done for mixed martial arts from the Pride days all the way up to now. Uh, you can pick your opponents, and this is this is what you get. Okay, so this would be. F- so think about this. So we we joke around, we joke around about tag team Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, mm-hmm. which is a thing. Yep. But yes, it is. Imagine a tag team mixed martial arts fight between Rogério Nogueira and his brother versus the uh, Rodrigo Nogueira. So you got Big Nog and, and Little Nog, Nog, who are twins. Yep. Which is mind blowing. Yep. You, so you got Minotauro and Hogerio versus Murilo and Shogun Hua in a tag team mixed martial arts match. That'd be rather interesting. That'd be that would actually be, be worth watching. That would be fun. Then we got Alexander Gusterson coming back to heavyweight. He's decided to go go to heavyweight instead of light heavyweight. So you've got the Mauler uh, against Fabricio Verdum. Mm. Uh, this is probably going to be uh, Gusterson using his striking and his height and his range to keep Verdum on the outside. Verdum, I, I don't know why he's still fighting. Uh, nothing against the man, but he's not, don't, he's not the same fighter he used to be. I like Gus. I like, I like Gus a lot. Um, I'm glad to see him move up to heavy. Mm-hmm. I, I think, think it's yeah, it's, it's I think it's a him. good call for him. Mm-hmm. Verdum, say what you will about Verdum not looking great now, but he's Hall of Fame at heavy. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm, you I'm cannot not sure why he's still fighting out. No, but his last fight, he fought um, uh, an old Russian, uh, Dan Nakanda. I can't mm-hmm. remember the gentleman's name, and Dan Nakanda just took him down and just. Actually struck, actually was out striking Verdum. And he's not a striker. He is the anaconda for a reason. He gets you down and just smothers you. Yeah. And he did the same. He did that to Verdum too. He took him down and just smothered him. It was a pretty, it was an ugly fight for, for Verdum. I'm, I'm just, I'm never going to count Verdum no, out. He's, just from, he's, he, yeah. he, he subbed Fedor. Yes, he's, he's so, legit. We, I mean, he is legit, but I just I don't know if he's going to be able to get inside of Gusterson with them long arms. And Gusterson took it to John Jones. John Jones. So, yeah. I mean, Gusterson's legit. I mean, he he stood in there with DC. I mean, there, there's there's a legit argument that that Gusterson won that first Jones yes, fight. You yes. can't argue about the second one. No, I don't know what happened care. to Gus on the second one. I but just, he just wasn't ready for that fight. Yeah, but it, it yeah. Anyway, but th- there's a legit argument that he should 
have had the belt for some period mm. of time after yes. that first fight. Yes. Because Jones looked a hell of a lot worse than Gus did after that first fight. Yep. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it is. We got a women's strawweight bout with Carla Esparza versus Mir- Mariana Rodriguez. I don't know much about Rodriguez, but Esparza is really, really good. Uh, this is number seven versus number nine. Esparza is higher ranked. It, it, I mean, I don't know enough about Rodriguez to make a good call, but Esparza is pretty good. Uh, light heavyweight Paul Craig, who I like because he is a brawler. He is a good striker. Um, very, very good. Uh, he's versus Gassamazrad and Tigalov. This is the light heavyweight. Uh, Paul Craig's got an easy, you know, five inch height advantage, six inch reach advantage. Uh, so. Both of these guys are known for submissions. Uh, Paul Craig uses his punching, his striking, to get you to the ground, then he submits you. I don't know anything about uh, the Russian, so we will have to see. Uh, it's 12 and 4, Paul Craig versus 20 and 6, and Tigolov. Sorry, I'm probably butchering your name, and I apologize. A lot of times I watch the fights to try to learn how to say these guys' names. So I don't, uh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings by saying their name wrong. Well, it, it's a pay per view, so that means you're yeah. going to have Rogan doing the uh, the pronunciations, which is not the no, most. We won't have Rogan. Rogan only does American pay per views. Oh, that's right. Rogan's got himself a nice contract. He only does. That's right. Forty eight. The forty eight. He don't even do Hawaii or, or Alaska. Hawaii. That's right. He only does the 48 contiguous. That man's been doing it long enough. He can say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And if you don't like it, hey, I don't care. This is what I'm doing. So is Emil Mick on the undercard? Uh, that's what I'm, I'm getting ready to get there. Uh, we've got uh, Alex, uh, Alex the Cowboy Olivia versus Peter Sabata. I don't know nothing about Sabata, but Cowboy, Cowboy is entertaining yeah, every that's, time he fights. Just because Cowboy... Oliveira is in it. That's going to be a good fight. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I don't know nothing about Sabata, but it, I'll, it'll be an entertaining fight. Then we have Chimera fighting his for the third time this month versus Reese Rise McGee, which I have no idea who he is. They don't even have a picture of. So he is taking a fight that. on short notice. Uh, but we've, you know, we've watched, you know, Chimev has had two straight wins, so he's going to go for his third. We're gonna see. Uh, we're gonna see uh, Chimaev in. We're gonna see him for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think he's gonna be. Yep. He's so good right now where he is. Um, we're gonna see him in title contention here in the next couple of years. Yeah, they're going. He's gonna probably fight these three in a row. If he wins again, he'll probably have a couple months. He'll probably have a month or two off. And then we'll probably start seeing him start facing more and more stiffer competition to see what he what he has. Within within <clears throat> six months, I think he's going to be within the top ten. It's quite possible if he keeps it up. All right, the prelims: uh, bantamweight bout, Nathaniel Ver- Wood versus Joe Castanda. I don't know either one of these gentlemen. Uh, Ramazan Emiev versus Nicholas Stoltz. Again, I'm not sure. We don't even have a picture of Nicholas Stoltz. I think he took the fight on short notice. Uh, women's bantamweight is uh, Bitch Coera versus Panin Kenizad. 
Uh, Carrera is legit. She's Ooh. she is legit. I don't like her. Eh, but... yeah, I know, but she is still a good fighter. Oh, she's okay. a great fighter. So I'll probably lean her way. She was undefeated up mm-hmm. to the Ronda Rousey fight. To, yeah, the minute. Yeah. Armbar. Yeah. yeah. Talked all my, all that trash and got knocked out. Now we're gonna see Tanner the Bulldozer Bolzer versus Rafael Pizza Nunes. I like Bozer. He's a funny Canadian. He also uh, his knockout the other a uh, couple weeks ago yeah, got him a four fight extension. Nice. So he he turned that first round knockout when he was the underdog into a four fight extension with the UFC, which is a big deal. Uh, you know, it's a heavyweight fight. Uh, I definitely know Bozer is a heavy handed guy, so this might not last long. Uh, featherweights, we have Movzar. Ivalov versus Mike Grundy. <clears throat> I think both these guys are up and coming. Uh, heavyweight, another heavyweight bout is Tom Aspinall versus Jake Collier. I've seen Jake Collier before. Tom Aspinall took this fight on short notice. Uh, he's This will be his first fight with the UFC. Uh, so I don't even know because the hard thing when you, you're getting your first fight at the UFC, you don't know anything about these guys. They could be good. Or they could be just, hey, I answered the phone, and I can make weight. But they're heavyweights, so you just got to be under 265. Uh, welterweight is Nicholas Dol- uh, Dolby versus Jesse Ronson. Again, uh, neither guys are ranked. Uh, these, these are two new fighters to the UFC. Uh, so I think they're just getting a, a chance. The main event for the prelims is Francisco Trinidadlato versus Jay Herbert. Uh, Trinidado is fighting Jay Herbert on short notice. Herbert is took the call, debut with the UFC. So, again, you don't know what to say. Uh, as a bad thing, you know, these guys are getting their opportunities, but we don't know nothing about them. So, it's hard to say, hey, yeah, this guy went on that guy again. These guys, because I know absolutely nothing. And you can kind of find stuff on the internet, but you don't know if it's right because all you're seeing is what somebody's putting out there. Yeah. So Mech isn't fighting on, no. the, on the car. So the reason I ask is I'm a fan of Emil Mech. Um, his fight with uh, uh, Usman was not competitive, but I enjoy watching him fight. And mm-hmm. I saw on his social media that he was chilling in Abu Dhabi with Chemaev. My guess is he was a backup fighter for one of the main cards. It is quite possible. Because um, he's still... He's, I mean, we still got, I think, another fight coming up. We got a... Uh, I think they're in Abu Dhabi. I think they're over there through August. Yeah. So he could be just over there because you have to uh, be quarantined and all this stuff. So if he went over there with his team, he might just stay. Yeah. Because there, there's a lot of fighters going over there a couple weeks in advance and staying with their teams and continuing to train there because it's easier. And Dana White is all for it because he ain't got to worry about them failing uh, coronavirus the Tests week before the fight. Or, yeah. And, and there were a number of guys. Um, trying to remember who it was on the Wednesday fight. He was talking about his entire team got taken out. Um, it's cold. Yeah, that's right. His, his entire team got taken out um, by Corona, mm-hmm. either 
before they came or after they got there or right before the fight. And it, yeah, so if they can set over there and just chill and wait to pick up a fight because somebody doesn't yeah. make weight or they get sick or they get injured, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense if they can sit over there that long. Yeah, because, I mean, you've got – you have to fly to a hub and be quarantined and take your tests. Then you fly to uh, another spot and you're quarantined. You can fly to – from wherever your port is, you fly to Vegas. You're quarantined. You take your test, then you fly to Abu Dhabi, and then you're quarantined for several days before, you know, then you can start training again. So these guys are trying to get there early so they aren't, you know, struggling at the end because, you know, if, you, if you're getting there just a day or two before your fight, you ain't, you, you're not going to make weight. You're going to have a struggle to make your weight. You're going to have a struggle getting ready. You're not going to have a game plan. You're going to be tired. So a lot of these guys are going over a week or two before and getting all that crap out of the way so then they can train because uh, Fight Island, I mean, they've made these guys, they've made the UFC a nice little spot. The fighters have uh, a beautiful hotel to stay in. The facilities there are nice. They've given them areas to practice outside. They have like a whole uh, street area where they can run. They can do stuff outside. So... The government over there is bending over to help, you know, get this going because this is bringing them, you know, some money too and getting a lot of looks their way. Well, and it's, you got to think about it. It's bad enough if you're flying from, and I'm going to make stuff up, right? But if you're an East Coast fighter and you're flying to Las Vegas to take a fight there and you got a three-hour time difference, right? And if you do it only a couple of days before the fight, Right, you're a little squirrely because you got a three-hour time difference. Think about what it's like flying to the other end of the world, yep. and you're in Abu Dhabi. And for some guys, it's probably a positive because I'm, Abu Dhabi's more at sea level, right? But mm -hmm. there's still an acclimation um, period when you're coming from higher higher altitude to sea level, right? Granted, it, it's a benefit because you're used to lower oxygen levels at, at high altitude. Oh, yes. But you still, right, you, you're drunk the first day, right? Yep. Because you, you've, you know, you've got a ton of oxygen in your blood. Yeah. So if you can, you know, get there a couple weeks early, have good accommodations, good food, be able to make your weight cut on site, right? It makes sense to sit there for a little while if you can. Think about it. The announcers, they're staying there two, three weeks in a row. Oh, yeah. Because... They have to go through the same protocol. So does Dana White. I mean, these guys are are doing a whole lot to entertain us, and I'm appreciative. UFC and now Bellator this coming weekend. You know, they're putting on their first one. They're putting on a Mohegan Sun. So we'll, we'll see how that goes, because you know. Well, you've got the relaxed right because it's yeah. a it's an Indian reservation. reservation. So you've got which it which is the birthplace of mixed martial arts yep. because that's the only, only place that would allow it. They could put on a show in the beginning, yep. but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Bellator pulls it off. But yeah, Dana White, I mean UFC was the first professional sports federation to put on a show. And still, after right, all this, and right now they're basically the only ones really doing it. You got the NFL. I'm not sure if they're going to actually play or not. Baseball's kind of sort of playing. Uh, NASCAR, NASCAR, NASCAR. They're you know 
but it's not the same. Yeah, they can't hear the fans anyway. Yeah, but you, it still is just, it's not the same. But UFC is the only ones like, hey, you know, hockey wants to play, but they really aren't. You've got Canada saying that they can't play in Canada. So we literally going to have uh, the Toronto, Toronto Blue Jays and baseball play in America. When it comes to hockey time, if nothing changes, you will see the can, entire Canadian hockey, all the Canadian hockey teams probably playing in America. And that's going to hurt them because Canada, you know, they love their hockey. And, I mean, we've got, we've probably still got some time before we get past the COVID. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. But, yeah, it's... It, I agree with Jerry. Thanks to Dana White for all the, and the UFC in general, for all the work they put into this. They got a really good thing going on Yaz with Fight Island, and they're putting out two and three fights a week. Yeah, they're going to do, was it 40 shows? Which is unheard of. That's crazy. They're going to do 40 shows in the next 50 days. What from the start? They're doing forty shows in fifty days. And back in you know, back in the early two thousands, when I was watching Pride, it you would get one show every quarter, yeah. if that. When I was first watching the UFC, you got one a year. I remember UFC one, and then it was a long time before you got another one because it was so brutal that they could only do it in Colorado <laughs> because it's the only play, the only state that would allow the UFC to exist. And yeah. That was back in the no weight, weight class days when you had Dan Severn just mopping the floor with all these little fellers. Yeah. You have a 180-pound dude fighting a guy who weighs 600 pounds, breaking his fist on the dude's body because he was so big. Mark Coleman and... Yeah. Yeah. I, th- those were good days. I, the thing that I miss about the, the modern era of mixed martial arts is I miss the tournament format. Yeah, the I'm going to fight four or five times a night. I, I would like to see a true tournament format. And I know that Bellator said they did the the heavy, was it the heavyweight tournament? But they did it over time. But they, they did, did it, yeah. They did the welterweight tournament, but they did it over like Eight months. Yeah, they would do one level of the bracket at night. Mm-hmm. I th- there was something compelling yeah. about, and even Pride, right? Because Pride, Pride did when they did their middleweight turn. I want to say it was middleweight tournament where Chuck Liddell came over, mm-hmm. and which was that's a whole nother really cool story. But um, you know they ran the first two levels of the bracket the same night, and then they had the finals on another night, which I kind of get that because you want your finale to be good, really, yeah, really good, really competitive. Give the guys a rest. But I would really like to see a multi multi level bracket tournament in one night and that is one of the reasons why i enjoy quintet so much yeah because they run back to back they run like eight teams Mm -hmm. in one night through three levels of the bracket and there's a lot of strategy that goes into it i really like that well i i 
um, K1, the K1 Grand Prix, where they would you would fight yeah. four or five times a night, and there you go. So yeah, that would be awesome if if they could do that. There's a you could pro. I'm I'm sure the UFC would easily be able to find fighters who'd be like. Hell yeah, I'll fight four times a night. I can tell you right now, Donald Cerrone would go, Hell yeah, I'll fight four times a night. I mean, you put a million dollar paycheck at the top, they're gonna fight. Yeah. And I mean, it could it could happen. You could see you could use it as a way to get a contract. Hey, we're gonna use we're gonna put twelve up and coming fighters and the winner gets a contract. Well, yeah, you know, we talk a lot about Chael Sonnen because he's you know, his podcast is awesome. He's a great the OG. analyst. Yep. And, and he's the OG bad guy. But he refers to the Ultimate Fighter as the hardest tournament mm-hmm. in combat sports. Because it lasts for eight weeks. It's grueling. You, you know, it lasts for eight weeks. You're isolated from everybody else. And all you do is train and compete and get on each other. Yeah, get after and each other. Get team. on each other's nerves. You're basically making it. It's it's kind of like Survivor meets you know, it's yeah. They're throwing in kind of a Survivor twist to it because you got people making teams and strategy and and stuff to fight who's going to fight who and who's going to win. And the corner Brennan Shab is all the alcohol you can drink, which it that Probably blows my mind. Which yeah, but, to, to think about a bunch of high level athletes being. Get, you know, I don't know if they still do it, but this was Shaw talking about when he was on there versus Roy Nelson, on you know that Ultimate Fighter, that they would just wake up every morning and there would be more liquor there. Well, think about it. If to be at their level, even to get into the Ultimate Fighter, right? They have to be very disciplined individuals, right? So if you gave them the opportunity. If you made it alcohol on order only, right, and the deal with the Ultimate Fighter was if there was something they wanted, there was a list, right, and they would write it down. I want coconut milk. I want this kind of protein powder, right? The UFC would supply it. If you made it optional or you had to order the alcohol, right, these people are so disciplined, they probably wouldn't have ordered it. Except for yeah. Maurice Green. That's a whole other story. Yeah, I'll do what I want. But, you know, unless they were... Unless they were... Unless it was put there, like, you know, open grazing, they probably wouldn't have asked for it. And to me, you're putting a bunch of high-level athletes away from their families in a very stressful situation, and we're putting gallons of liquor here on the table for you. Let's see what happens. Somebody's getting knocked out. Just saying. And then, hey, let's mix women and men in the same dorms. Hey, let's see what happens. Because people want to watch. The, the, the first co-ed Ultimate Fighter blew my, that That blew my mind. When they said Ultimate Fighter, male, was it male heavyweights yeah, and female, female bantamweights? Bantamweights, I think. I think. Yeah. I was, oh my God, are they really going to do you know, this? And you had some, some studs. And you know, on the man's side, and some very, very, very attractive women, and you're you're putting these all this aggression and all this high level endorphins going on, this testosterone, all this stuff going on in a house, and you don't expect things to happen. 
Well, and you you had those two. I don't remember their names because it was a while ago. But it was the 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 one male and the one female, and they were playing kissy face yeah. almost the entire season. Oh no, we're just friends. He's got a wife. Yeah. I've got a husband. But it's on TV, and we're making out. But hey, who cares, right? It's for TV. Right. Exactly. So I was that one blew my mind because I, I could see right there they did the all female season mm-hmm. with Misha Tate and, and Ronda Rousey, Rousey, which was pretty interesting. You could really see Rousey's competitiveness. Yeah, you could see the hate form between the two of them there, and to this day they still dislike each other. Misha Tate still has a very very low opinion, negative. Of- She's very negative about Ronda Rousey. What? Even though Rousey got the best of her in the fights, Misha Tate still has a very negative opinion of Ronda Rousey. Not because she lost, but you listen to you listen to both of them, and I've listened to Misha Tate a lot. Misha Tate's going into some of it. She was she just she thinks Ronda Rousey is kind of like the snake in the grass, that backstabbing, that belittler, that you know. Well, and the interesting thing about that about that season was the way they portrayed Rousey versus the way they portrayed Tate in the editing. Mm-hmm. Well, they're good at that. I coming out of that season, I did not care for Misha Tate, but in the intervening years since then. You realize... Yeah, you realize that Misha Tate's actually really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I heard a... Like, she was on a couple of podcasts, listened mm-hmm. to, hearing her story coming up being the only female on her wrestling Who team. Lost every, her, her lost every match in her first year. Before Title IX. She had yep. to fight for her place yep. on that, on that yep. squad. You know, she's actually a really cool person, but... The, the the spin on that season trying to build up Rousey. Well, Chell Sonnen. Chell Sonnen was known was actually a good was is a good guy, but they wanted him to be the villain yeah. and the ultimate fighter because they did it in Brazil. Against Vanderlei. So you and they told him and he even talks about it, he's like, Hey man, you gotta you gotta be you need to be the bad guy. So he's like, Okay. And He's like, but the problem was, I'm the bad guy against a national hero in his home country. So then they had to provide him security in an armored vehicle whenever he left the, the place because people took it seriously and wanted to kill him. And they also didn't let mm-hmm. Vanderlei in on that side yeah. of the story. They just, yep. Right? So not only is Chael doing Chael yeah. being the character of the bad guy, but they're doing it against the axe murderer in his country and not letting him in on the gig. Yep. They basically told Chell Sonnen to be basically an asshole. And up to that point, even though him and, you know, Wanderlei were going to fight at the end of this, they knew this, they actually, you know, Wanderlei liked Chell Sonnen. They were going to fight because that's what you do. Yeah. And they're both athletes, you know, both fighters. But they are like, hey, man, we need you to step it up. And Chell Sonnen was like, okay. And he went to the gangster. He went to the OG, I'm this guy, and here we go. And I don't think the fight ever happened. I think, didn't, didn't they Not both? Not in the UFC. Because they both 
dip dad on the test. Yep. <laughs> Neither one pissed in the cup, so they both guessed suspended. Well, so that was the one where <laughs> so Chael failed, and he pulled he he copped his two year suspension. Yep. After which he went to Bellator. Yep. The other one, the, the Vanderlei side, was where Usada showed up at and his door, and but he didn't understand. He was still having trouble speaking English at that point. He said, um, "Good excuse." Yeah, good right. story, bro. Good story, bro. Um, but yeah, so he um, he he dipped out of it, and he caught a suspension because they thought yeah. he was evading the test. They ended up meeting up in Bellator. Yes. Eventually, after Vanderlei had his snuba surgery yeah. um, to get his nose fixed and his nostrils enlarged so he could breathe better yeah. during the fight, mm-hmm. uh, which is that's kind of like that all on the one, yay, yeah, um, yeah. That that nostril surgery was kind of the mixed martial arts version of remember when all the um, the baseball players were getting Lasix to get yeah. like. 560 vision yeah, or whatever it was. Super duper vision. Yeah, super duper vision. Down, yeah. So that's kind of the mixed martial arts version of baseball LASIX. Um, but yeah, so yeah, they, they met up in Bellator and Chael won. And yeah, it was well after where they should have fought, so I was disappointed. But I mean, yeah, Chael went to Bellator after suspension and actually didn't do too bad. He did get embarrassed by Fedor, but come on, it's Fedor. He tried um, that goofy ass yeah, shoulder roll. It was a dumb. It was a dumb move. He tried, and he's even admitted that he should have never done it on someone like Fedor, who's a grappler by trade, who's got a good base and crazy ground and pound. And strong as he was, he tried to try to take his back when Fedor was in turtle and do this weird front shoulder roll into a convoluted choke and instead basically all he did was fall over and Fedor crawled on top of him and beat the living shit out of him but talk about real quick before we finish up talking about USADA and the weird things Tim Kennedy once talked about USADA he was out running one morning and Tim Kennedy's a green beret who is uh, he's on ISIS's hit list uh, who he, oh, get, he yes. puts out his he actually likes to put out his address for ISIS to come and fight him he's fine with that he was out jogging one morning. He come home. There's an unmarked car in his driveway. His wife and children are still in the house asleep. So he ran up on this fella with because Kennedy lives in Texas and doesn't go nowhere without a gun. He rolled up on this fella in this unmarked car, pulled his gun, put him on the ground, and said, "Who the fuck are you?" And the poor dude was like, "I'm your side. I'm here for your piss." And he was like, "Oh, okay. Come on and have some coffee, and I'll piss in the cup for you." So. Hey, you know, always be careful where you're going because you may end up getting shot. If you show up at my door and say, hey, I'm here to look at your wiener and get your piss, you better have an ID because I might punch you first. Just saying. But, you know, I'm not fighting professionally. Yeah, if somebody shows up at your door asking for your pee, you know there's something weird going on. <laughs> we go. I, I got a backyard. Just saying. Shoveling a 45, nobody will miss you. Hey, no one, hey, no one knows you're here. Who's going to miss you? Just saying. All right, so Jerry's usually known for the the closing thoughts of of the podcast, but I got something I got to get off my chest. Um, And this is, I've been chewing on this the last couple of days, but it really came up after I listened to a couple of podcasts from Sean Stevens. And for those of you who are not familiar, Sean Stevens is the host of the Model Health Podcast. And he does 
everything health and fitness related from a holistic standpoint. So not only is it exercise and diet, but it's money and, and relationships all the way down to how you take care of your teeth and how that affects your overall health. Sean is a really interesting guy and I'll link to the the two podcasts that I listened to um, that prompted this in the show notes. But Sean is a he's a mixed race gentleman. Um, I believe his his father was black and his his mother was of a different race. But he did two podcasts talking about the the current social unrest and what it's like from his standpoint. And and what it brought back to me was I'm extremely frustrated because there was a point in time not that long ago where we were at a turning point in our society where it really looked like Americans as a whole were going to come together and start to work out some very important issues that we've had in our society for a long period of time. And it's not just the the po- police brutality and the Black Lives Matter, but just a lot of issues that we have as a whole from a, a unification standpoint as a nation. I really thought that we were going to get over this hump and come together and, and start to work on these problems in a constructive manner. And what I've seen over the last couple of weeks is... They, whoever they is, you can say it's the media, you can say it's the redacted, you can say it's the reptile people, whatever you want to say they are, they have started to pull us apart again and send us back into our opposite corners, feed us a bunch of pablum, and turn us against each other again. And it's not just people on the left, it's people on the right, it's people on the middle. We're all starting to, to, to fragment again, and it's really frustrating and really disappointing. And, and the thing that Sean's podcasts really highlighted was, again, he, he's a mixed-race gentleman. He married um, a lady from, uh, his wife I believe is from Ghana. I would have to go back and and listen to that again. If I'm getting it wrong, Sean, I'm sorry. But, you know, he married a lady from an African country. They have an experience totally different from mine. And they, the thing about Sean is he is so well-spoken and his ideas are so well thought out that he would use words and phrases that I would typically bristle to and, and react negatively, but he would immediately bring the, the, the discussion around in such a well-thought-out and cognizant way that I could see where he was coming from. So trigger words, whatever you want to call them. He was using trigger words, but in a way that that made me think more about his um, his argument and to see things from his point of view. And at the beginning of this whole thing with with uh, Mr. Floyd and, and the way he died and the things that we saw from social media, 
I was really starting to think differently about some very firmly held beliefs on my part. And now, because of the way the media on both sides is portraying it, and they're starting to drag us apart again, and we're starting to fragment again, and, and the, the Asian provocateurs who are really interested in fomenting that, that separation, it's not even about what it used to be about anymore. And, and we're focusing on that in our separate corners, and Jerry's talked about wanting to be on Team X or Team Y on our previous podcast, and that's we're going back to that, and it is so frustrating. There was a really great article in the the local news here in Virginia, and I don't know if you saw it, Jerry, but it was it was during a protest in Richmond, and there was a group of traditional Second Amendment um, advocates, right? You know, they were they were dressed in their typical Second Amendment. Um, you know, garb, you know, they had on plate carriers, they were carrying their, their, their weapons in a safe manner. But there was another group of Black Guns Matters um, activists. I don't know if you're familiar with that yes, group. I am. It's run by Maj Touré, and I, there's a lot of stuff that I agree with Maj. You know, Maj's concept is gun control is inherently racist it was originally developed to keep arms out of the hands of black people yes, it was. so they they couldn't defend themselves um but there was this group of um black guns matter activists i would actually say most of them were hotep if you're familiar with the hotep group um they were black guns matters hotep activists and at first, it looked like they were going to be a little contentious until another group that were known white separatists showed up and were kind of blending, trying to blend in with the 2A group. And the 2A group and the Hoteps got together and said, hey, we're more alike than we're different, but these assholes over here... We want them out. Yeah. So the 2A guys and the Black Guns Matter Hoteps got together and cast out the white separatists. That's what it's all about. Yes. Right? That's the way this is supposed to be. You know, we're more alike than in general, right? Unless you're a racist, you know, asshole. We're more alike than... Than most people want to admit. I bet you ninety percent of us are, this pretty much have the same viewpoint. It's the five percent on either edge that are driving us apart, because the people on the far right and the far left are the same goddamn people. They just look in different directions and say they're saying the almost the exact same thing, just a different way. Yeah, absolutely, and it, I I'm just I'm so frustrated because I was very hopeful there for a little bit that you know we're all locked in our houses we can't go out the people who are going out are going out for you know it looking at it now you know very respectable reasons mm. but what's going on now now in portland and in some of these other locations has nothing to do with bringing to light 
the issues in society and the media and them, like I said, how, whoever you want to say them is, they've got their agent provocateurs on either side and they're trying, and this is going to sound really woo-woo, black helicopter conspiracy theorist, but they are using their agent provocateurs on either side to try to break up that momentary almost unification that we had a couple of weeks ago, you know, a couple of months ago, that looked so promising. I, I just want everybody to remember. We talk a lot about the, the people who remember what happened on September 11th, and we remember what it was like in the weeks after that. There's a parallel between that and what's going on now. September 11th was a linchpin moment in American history, and there for a split second, we almost came together. And then that linchpin event was used by people in power to solidify their power and grow government yep. and grow government's oversight. And the same thing is going on right now. George Floyd and, and the, the, honestly, the social media that went on around George Floyd, there are some pictures that I saw after the George, George Floyd incident that really changed the way I think about things. But they, the redacted, the media, whatever you want to call them, are using that linchpin moment to increase their power and reduce our freedoms. And this isn't a right-wing thing. It's not a left-wing thing. I'm not saying this Republican or Democrat. They are... And again, this is woo-woo conspiracy theory shit, but they are bigger than that. They are on both sides of the aisle. There is a contingent that is only interested in growing the power of government, whether it's Republican or Democrat. And it doesn't matter. What I'm saying, what I'm trying to, to say in this weird, sprawling screed is if, if we can settle our differences and come together and unite as a country and unite as a people, we can change our society for the better. If we leave it up to them to fragment us and separate us and point out our differences and use these groups that have nothing to do with what happened in with what happened that started this and change the narrative all that's going to be done is we're going to be more separated and more fragmented as a society and they're going to get more power. And, and I know that's a really weird thing to say, but I am so frustrated because there was a kernel of hope that we were going to leap over a, a, a roadblock that transcended race it transcended class it transcended age it, there was so many chances for unification and reconciliation in the country in the last several months and it's just being destroyed by media manipulation 
and people wanting to be on a certain team. It's just extremely frustrating. So what I'm asking everybody who's listening to this, the, you know, the, the couple followers that we have is think for yourself, try to be a good human being, try to see things from the other side. And just because people are saying things that you might not agree with, it doesn't nullify their value as a human being. Try to empathize with them and understand where they're coming from because everybody's got a different perspective. And as long as we're addressing these issues honestly and and talking to each other, I really think we can get through them. Um, so, so, you know, props to Sean and the Model Health Podcast. I really enjoyed those episodes. We'll link to them in the show notes so everybody else can listen to them if they want to. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, black helicopters aside, that's all I got, man. So, Jerry, the, the show's yours. Basically, Scott just touched on what I normally touch on. Have a little compassion for your fellow man. Have a little respect when you're out and about. Be willing to listen to other viewpoints. Don't just automatically um, lock it away and say, well, they disagree with what I like, so I'm not going to listen to them. And maybe we can come out of this a better place to be for you know, the next generation. On that, we went a little long tonight. But we had a lot to cover. We had a lot to say. And to our few listeners, thanks. And uh, we'll be back next week. Cheers, Have, brother. Cheers. Have a good one. The music from tonight's episode was But I Am Shafts of Light by Maya from their album, Wailing Village.